Some years ago, a friend of mine who's a pastor in America, he was telling me about a story, something that happened to him personally, uh, in a church that he had visited. And these, this church was very keen to welcome new people. And so, during the course of the service, the person on the stage said, is there anybody new here today? And uh, he sheepishly put his hand up, and they said, oh, welcome. Would you like to come up? Come up onto the stage here. And as he came, from the other side of the stage appeared, and my friend was quite uh, short of stature, a very, very large woman who came along. She put her arm around him, kind of enveloped him, and she began to sing. There's a welcome here, there's a welcome here, there's a Christian welcome here. And then the people knew what's supposed to happen. There's a welcome here, there's a welcome here. And the whole crowd sang it as well. And he then went back to his seat, wishing he maybe hadn't put his hand up. <laughs> he was telling a friend of his, and his friend said, I think I can beat that. I went and visited a church, and uh, I was there, and I had the hymn book, and I was standing up, first hymn, sang the first verse, the moment the second verse started, on a silent cue that everybody knew but me, everybody sat down, leaving me exposed. Ah, we have someone new here today. <laughs> Would you like to come up the front here and tell us about yourself? Various ways you can welcome new people. Now, if you're new today, <laughs> you can relax, okay, because we're not going to do anything that would embarrass you. We began a series two weeks ago on the subject of being church, and we looked at being a worshiping church. Last week, we looked at being a naturally supernatural church, and today, we're going to talk about being a welcoming and accepting church. We have a lot to learn, of course, every church does, but we do quite well, I think, in this. You know, nobody in this room knows you're new if you are today, because no one in this room knows even half the people in this room. And yet, we've always wanted to be warm and welcoming and friendly and meeting new people. And last Saturday, we had a newcomer's dinner. I was talking to a number of people and just saying, what was your experience as you came here the first time? And there were people of no faith there. There were people exploring faith, new to faith, people who've been Christians for years. And the words that came out again and again, words like so friendly, so warm, so welcoming, people talked to me. And one guy said that he had been out of church for many, many years, and he decided he would come back. He found us, I don't know, on the internet or something, and he, he turned up here, drove into the car park, very nervous about walking into a crowd this size and coming back to a church. And uh, he was so nervous, he drove out again and left. The next week, he came back, drove in, and drove out again and left. And he did that five times before, apparently on the sixth time, he was brave enough to come through the door. And as he did, it was like he, felt, he sensed the presence of God here, and immediately people were talking to him, immediately people were welcoming him, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. I heard a story recently about a woman who came, and she came at the beginning of service, got a cup of coffee, and she was just drinking her coffee and just thinking, oh my goodness, this is overwhelming. So many people, all of whom seem to know each other, I don't know whether I could fit in here. And she finished her cup of coffee, headed for the bin for her cup to go out the door and leave before the service even started. And one of our folks met her, engaged her in conversation, offered then, she sat with her through the service, and she joined the church, as far as I know, as a result. 
So in this series, we're looking at the kind of church that God wants us to be, and, and we know that being a welcoming and accepting church is one of the characteristics of a church that is very, very important to God. The Bible is a great place to start if we want to understand how we can be that kind of church. Let me begin with one verse. It's from Romans chapter 15 and verse 7, and I'll read it to you from three different versions because they nuance the English translation of the original language, gives you just different kinds of feel. This is what the Apostle Paul was writing to the Roman church. Warmly welcome each other into the church just as Christ has welcomed you. Reach out and welcome one another. Jesus did it, now you do it. Accept one another then as Christ accepted you. This reaching out, this welcome, paints a picture of how, you know, at an airport you'll often see this, someone who's been away and then it's welcome back to your country and you see people do this, welcome, and then they throw their arms around and envelop the other person. And that's how we're supposed to be with each other. Why? Because that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He warmly welcomes us. He embraces us. He does that. You recognize that? He accepts us as we are, broken, imperfect, sinful people. And it says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died on a cross. He stretched out his arms and he welcomes us into eternal relationship with God. And Paul says, Jesus did it, now you do it. Warmly welcome each other into the church, just as Christ has warmly welcomed you. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. And I'd like us to be known even more than we are as people who instinctively welcome and accept people. It is a pretty daunting thing to walk in not knowing anybody here for the first time, to see this large crowd of people. And they seem to, people experience this buzz, this sense of people chatting and laughing and people who know each other. And I've spoken to many people who've said, I loved the atmosphere the moment I walked in. I could see people loved each other, but I wondered if I would fit. I wondered if I would, could belong here. I don't know anyone. I'm not sure I'd fit here. These people look pretty sorted. I'm not sure I'm, you know, my life's a bit of a mess. I'm, they all seem to be, have it together. I feel a bit too old. I feel a bit too young. I'm homeless. I'm a refugee. I'm an addict. I've just come out of prison. I spoke to a guy this morning. He thanked me for this morning's talk. He said, the first time I came here, I came out of prison that week. I walked into this place wearing my prison trainers and some tracksuit bottoms and was scooped up into a relationship. And I've been here ever since. Somebody might say, I've got a broken marriage. I'm living with my partner. Someone else might say, I'm gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. I wear a suit and tie, would I fit? Or I've got a, you know, like a 12-inch green Mohican and I'm covered in tattoos. Would I belong? Could I be accepted? Could I be welcomed? And the answer, of course, to all those questions is yes. The Apostle Paul, in another of his letters in Galatians 3.28, he wrote this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. The moment you begin to follow Christ, you become one with the person next to you, become brothers and sisters, as was just referred to in that film. If you haven't yet started a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're also welcome and accepted here, and I'll say more about that shortly. But as a church, as the body of Christ, we are one, one family, or a little family within the greater family of God. 
The three examples Paul gives there are the three major divisions in the society of his day, race and ethnicity, class and social status, and gender. Jews didn't mix with Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. Slaves didn't socialize with people who weren't slaves. Men and women were segregated in various walks of life, not least in religion. And at the time Paul was writing this, there were huge divisions in society, and this was causing problems in the church as well. The Jewish Christians in Galatia, where he's writing here, were saying that the Gentile Christians didn't have equal value with them, so they refused to eat with them. And there were similar distinctions made between those who were free and those who were slaves, and between those who were men and women. The church was divided based on human and social distinctions. And Paul is saying here, these distinctions are no longer relevant in the way we value people. Paul is saying these old distinctions are no longer to have any impact on the way we treat other people, especially in the Christian church. We're now all one family. And our status in the family of God trumps all the old distinctions that would otherwise keep us apart. In God's family, all the children, as it were, are to be at home, embraced in the arms of the Father, and uh, welcoming one another with that same acceptance. So what about those who wouldn't yet count themselves as followers of Jesus? What about those who don't believe what we believe? Does our embrace extend to them too? Well, I think a good place to start in answering this question is to look at what Jesus was like. The answer is yes, incidentally. Uh, he had encounters with people of every kind, with religious people and very unreligious people. And I want to look at a story of someone who didn't look like a follower of Jesus on the outside to learn how Jesus responded. And we find this story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. We're reading from verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, a Pharisee was one of the religious leaders at the time, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And in those days, they didn't have a table and chairs. They had benches with cushions, and you would actually lay on this bench, lean on one elbow, and feed yourself with the other hand. He reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Verse 44, then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, the Pharisee, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Now here we see Jesus at this social occasion at the house of a religious person and eating dinner. And this woman comes in, she's described as a sinner of that town. Probably means, most commentators reckon she probably was a prostitute. And she comes into the house of this Pharisee this law-abiding household. She was uninvited, turns up at this party, and we understand she was intending to anoint Jesus with this perfumed oil that she carried in a little flask. But she finds herself at the feet of Jesus, just probably stood behind him as his feet are facing backwards here, and it says she begins to weep. Why? 
Perhaps because as Jesus looked at her, she saw something she'd never perhaps seen before in somebody else's eyes. She saw not condemnation. What she saw was unconditional acceptance. So she begins to cry, and is like, you know, because his feet would be dusty, it's all like mud r running down and stuff. And to try and make things better, she lets her hair down to be able to wipe up this mess and makes it far worse because that was something culturally a no-no for a Jewish woman to let her hair down in public was really a disgraceful thing to do. Everybody's watching. She seems completely oblivious to everybody else in the room. She's gripped with emotion, and she begins then to kiss Jesus' feet and then to anoint them with a the perfume. This is the most awkward moment you can imagine in that culture. But what's Jesus' response? He's a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. He's a teacher, well-respected. He should have been outraged at this invasion of this get-together and the extraordinary things she was doing. But he's not outraged. He's not even embarrassed. He lets her do it. And in, as others present object, he actually commends her. If you read Mark's account of the story, he says she will be remembered. This is a beautiful thing she's done. She will be remembered for it. And indeed, it's in the Bible, which means it's been remembered so far by billions of people over 2,000 years. And we read that story, and we very easily skim over it if we've read it before, but it is utterly shocking. A Jewish rabbi allowing someone of such reputation to touch him in this way. And onlookers must have thought, Gee, wow, Jesus seems to be pretty light on sin. Pretty, you know, he's not bothered. Does he not know who this woman is? Does that mean Jesus thought prostitution was okay? Did he approve of her way of life? No, he believed absolutely she was living a life of sin, but he totally embraced her and he defended her dignity in front of all those people. This was a, a patriarchal society, one that was dominated by men who held authority over women and children. They had very little rights. And it was also a shame and honor-based culture. For women who didn't conform to the accepted roles, it meant total rejection. A woman who engaged in prostitution actually in that culture risked being stoned to death. There was just no place for her in society except to be used by men. Really wasn't the kind of lifestyle anyone would have chosen. Prostitutes were outcasts, seen as the lowest of the low, shunned and scorned and rejected. Jesus was consistently loving and accepting of those whose society marginalized. They were not all prostitutes by any means. They displayed a variety of uh, behaviors. They had different issues going on in their lives. But Jesus was incredibly attracted to sinners. And he was incredibly attractive to sinners. Andy Comiskey said this of the woman we read about here. The burden of her sin didn't separate her from Jesus. It compelled her to him. It wasn't that Jesus turned a blind eye to people's sin. He knew with greater clarity than any of us do what was going on in people's lives. He sees the secrets of everybody's hearts as well as their presenting behavior. But he said, I'm not here for people who think they've got it all together. I'm not here for the righteous, those who think they've got it all sorted. We read in Mark 2, verse 17, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I'm here for people like this. And Jesus spent so time with people like this that he was accused of being sinful himself because he was often hanging out 
with those the religious people thought he should be avoiding. And we know that because Jesus is recorded as saying that's what people were saying about him. In Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew 11:19, he says the son of man, which was the way he spoke of himself in the third person, but basically his own description, like saying I, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's extraordinary, isn't it, really? The most righteous, perfect person who's ever walked the earth was accused of being a drunkard because of his attending parties where presumably people were getting drunk. He was accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Basically, that's a summary of the sorts of people that religious people rejected. And the Pharisees said, how can you do that? How can you spend time with those sorts of people? Albert Nolan is a cardinal, I believe, in the Catholic Church. Uh, he had been in the running before Pope Francis was appointed, possibly to be Pope. And he wrote this, the scandal Jesus caused in that society by mixing socially with sinners can hardly be imagined by most people in the modern world today. It meant that he accepted them and approved of them and that he actually wanted to be a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was known not just as someone who spent time with sinners, like some kind, you know, keen Christian might do, just to dip in and try to lead people towards faith. He was known as a friend, a friend of sinners. You mean like a real friend, friend with the kinds of people who didn't care much about God's rules. His friendship circle included people who were despised even by the ordinary man in the street, let alone the religious people. Yes. And we know that tax collectors weren't simply like the nice people who are currently employed by the Inland Revenue. Tax collectors were crooks. They worked for the Roman occupying government and they were required to tax their own people and they just made up sums and scooped off the top and they made themselves very wealthy by ripping off their own people and so they were utterly despised, but they were crooks. So he was known as a friend of crooks. He ate with them, he drank with them, he went out to dinner with them. Absolutely intriguing. Jesus welcomed them when they came to him and he went to their parties. He went to where they were. It's shocking, you know, it's extraordinary and it's not what one might expect. Especially if you look at the church. Like, well, that's not how the church is generally perceived, is it? By people who you might call sinners. That's just a biblical word for people who don't care too much about God's rules. Christianity is known by many people by what it's against. Jesus was not known for what he was against, but for who he was for. He was for the outcast, the vulnerable, the excluded, the rejected. If you think gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is some sort of Sunday school nice guy, you want to read the Gospels, the full stories about his life. He was a revolutionary, a radical, who upset religious people. He upset the people who knew the law of God and wanted to not only obey it to the nth detail, but also impose it and become self-righteous in the process. He was upset with them, and he upset them the whole time, because he kept telling them off for their pride, for their judgmentalism, and he told them, let people in. On another occasion, Jesus is talking to those religious leaders, he says in Matthew 21, 31, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. They're more open to me and my message than you religious people are. And it's still the same today. There will be those who are coming towards him, compelled as this woman was, to draw near enough 
to draw near through their experience of love, through forgiveness. And they probably won't look like Christians on the outside. They won't say the right things. But they're on a journey. Their hearts are responding to Jesus. And we, the church, shouldn't get in the way of them meeting Jesus and beginning a relationship with him. So they don't come in ready sorted. I loved what one guy once said, uh, you know, came in, discovered the church. I effing love Jesus. He's effing awesome. And he didn't abbreviate it with just the F. (laughs) Jesus loves that. I've heard people pray and use that word in their prayers. They've just come to faith. Jesus loves that. He's not bothered about, you know, over time, hopefully that will drop out of the vocabulary. But he loves people who come close to him. Do we require people to believe certain things and behave certain ways in order to feel like they belong in this church? No. We want those who come to experience the welcome and the acceptance of the church as soon as they walk in here, to feel that they belong before they believe and before they behave. Of course, our longing is that people will come to know Jesus and commit their lives to following him, but that's not a condition of being welcomed and accepted. One of the ways we love to make people feel welcome here is we host newcomers' events, lunches or dinners, and over the many years, 20 years now, probably uh, over 200 newcomers' meals that we've had. And um, it's it's a demonstration of welcome, but it's also a way where we can help people understand more about the church and help them come to a decision about our church's vision and the things that we value. You know, we as a church have certain ways of doing things, and it's not for everyone. And that would be true of every church in Nottingham. We all do things differently. That's the way God made the church. That's to express something of the variety of who he's made us to be. And one group of people will feel at home in one kind of church. Another group of people will find their home in another. We need all kinds of churches because there are all kinds of people. I hope, though, for those who visit and come here and don't stay, it's because they just didn't feel this was the place the Lord wants them or because they concluded I just need to find a church that's more me I hope it is never because they looked at us and thought I'd never fit in here I love what I see but I'm just not trendy enough or young enough or something enough to be accepted I'd hate it if they left here not feeling welcomed and and accepted so I believe God's calling us to be that kind of church and we want people who naturally embrace others as they come towards us I had the opportunity many years ago to share a table with uh, one of the world's greatest entrepreneurs, Richard Branson. It was a wedding I did, and then the reception was at his house, and so I spent quite a bit of time with him. And, you know, Richard Branson has taken on things which are impossible to do, like what about challenging the airlines and creating an airline, and just do it differently, find out what people really want, tailor it to their needs, and take on the giants. And he's done that with so many businesses, as you know. So I said to him, look, we have a product I was planning on planting this church at the time, and uh, I said, look, we've got a product. Forget what you would know about church historically. We have a blank canvas. We could design it from scratch. So I asked him, if you could take our product, the church, and design it from scratch, what would you do? And he said he had very little experience of church, but without hesitating, he said, people's greatest problem is loneliness. Create a place where they can make real friends. He was talking about a place where people can find a home amongst other people who will accept them, will welcome them. 
John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement, once said, people come to church for many reasons, but they stay primarily because of one. They find relationships, deep and meaningful relationships. And as the family of God, our lifestyle needs to communicate, if you're going to come to this church, we're going to love you, no matter what. There's a story I've told before, which Tony Campolo tells, and it's worth repeating, so I'm going to tell you it again. Most of you won't have heard it, probably. Tony Campolo was a church leader. He was a Christian speaker. He was speaking at a conference in Honolulu, and so he got there. He was jet-lagged. He was up late into the night, about one in the morning, I think it was. He goes down. He finds himself a place to get a cup of tea or coffee, and uh, it was a cafe, And he was sitting quietly, and it was very empty. And then suddenly, a group of young women came in, just talking and laughing and uh, sharing stories of their evening, their long evening, their night's work. They were uh, working in the sex trade. So he just sits there listening to their conversation a bit. And one of them, during the course of this, said, it's my birthday tomorrow. But I think he picked up that they hadn't really picked it up. Anyway, they left, and he asked the cafe owner, he said, do those young women come in often? He said, yeah, they come in every night, about the same time. So he said, would you mind if I was to buy some decorations and, like, party streamers and things? And, and, uh, and that I overheard that she said it was her birthday, and I felt it wasn't really picked up. If we, if we could lay on a little birthday party for her. And this cafe owner said, that's, that's beautiful. I'd love to help. In fact, my wife could bake a cake. We could make a birthday cake. So Tony Campolo went out and he bought all the stuff and he arrived there early and sure enough, the cake had been made and they put candles on it and they decorated the place so that when the women came in, they sang happy birthday to her and they gave her this cake. And she took it in her arms and she held it and they gave her a knife to cut it. And she said, would you mind if I don't cut it? I've never had a birthday cake before. Can I take it home and we'll do it? You know. So she, she did and she kept it. And so as they left, this cafe owner said to him, tell me again, why did you do that and what do you do? And he said, well, I, I lead a church. And he said, well, what kind of church do you lead? What kind of church do you go to? And he said, I suppose it's the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. And this man, not a believer, he said, if there was a church like that around here, I would go to it. I'd like to think that in some small way we are a church like that. Caring for people who society rejects is one of our hallmarks. Hundreds of you express God's compassion every week through ministries like the Arches and many more. And I know that when people walk through the door wondering whether they'll be welcomed, you surprise them time after time with your warmth. The Apostle Paul, in one of his, more than one of his letters, I think, but I'm just thinking of Thessalonians, he basically says, do this, as indeed you are already doing. Do it more. And this is what I'm saying. You're already excelling in this. I'm encouraging us to do it more. We want to be a place where imperfect people can feel perfectly welcome. Let me ask you to repeat that. It's worth learning. We want to be a place, say it out loud with me, would you? We want to be a place where imperfect people can feel perfectly welcome. You know, each of us is born squeaky and new from our mother's womb. And as we grow, we have experiences of life which hurt us. 
and we bump into others. And over time, from bad treatment or from life circumstances or from bad choices we make, things go wrong and we end up damaged. People, all of us are damaged in some way. And our hope is that the church is a healing community. It's a place where people can come, however broken they may be as they arrive. And over time, you know, they can receive prayer from others. And that can begin to be sorted out. They can be in a small group and have folks share with them and look after them and care for them. They can make relationships and friends. And those areas that have been closed off can be opened up to others. And over time, this is what happens to people in the church. Now, it's still a pretty creasy-looking piece of paper, and this side of heaven, we will all be that way, but a lot more sorted out and a lot more healed up than we might otherwise have been without the church. That is our vision for the church. It's a place where imperfect people can feel perfectly welcome, and we can all grow to look more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. So are we looking as we, you know, waiting for people to arrive here and turn up for respectable people, successful people, people who have it all together. Well, they're as welcome as anyone else, don't get me wrong, but we're looking for people. We're looking for people simply who God is sending, whose lives will be changed for the better by being here. Jesus included and accepted sinners, but he also longed for them to become healthy and whole people. And our goal is that people, whoever they are, will look more like Jesus over time than when they arrived. Some of the people that God sends us are easy to work with and disciple. Others are harder. We have a mandate to love and accept people and care for them as Jesus would. But sometimes it's really difficult. And we've had all sorts of messy behavior in like our Sunday services over the years here. Uh, we've had people turn up inebriated or high on their drug of choice. We've had times when people yell out, heckle the speaker, say something very inappropriate. We've had things go missing from the property. We've had people arrive here intending harm. And we have teams that graciously deal with those situations uh, for everyone's protection. I remember once I got up and I started speaking and uh, there was a guy who turned up with a knife intending to harm one of our pastors. So as I was speaking, I saw three or four strong men lift him out of his chair and carry him out of the door um, where they graciously and gently took the knife off him and, and talked him down and cared for him and loved him. He was someone we'd been loving you know, for many months prior to that and uh, subsequently as well. Now, you wouldn't ex normally expect that kind of behavior, would you, in a church, but you know, we could get uptight about it and people aren't behaving well and we could frown and tut and all that sort of thing disapprovingly or we could just respond with grace at all times and with a sense of humor where that's fitting. Because the truth is, where else will people go to find Jesus if the church refuses to welcome them because their behavior doesn't conform? John Burke, the pastor of Gateway Church in Houston, Texas said this, it is a very broken, messed up world we live in. And if there's no mess showing up in your church community, what does that mean? Jesus, he said, dove into the mess, into the chaos of our world, because out of the chaos, he was creating something new. Now, we've talked a lot today about unconditional welcome. Does our welcome mean that we agree with everyone? The answer would be very evidently no. We care about people from all walks of life, people with various beliefs, uh, 
ethics, perspectives, lifestyles, and we are concerned that churches can sometimes alienate people, can ostracize people who are different, those who think differently and live differently. So we want to welcome all people, but that does not mean we affirm all lifestyles. Sometimes people new here ask me whether they're welcome, and uh, perhaps they're going through a divorce, and they're not sure how they're going to be received if they come here, or, or they're not married, they're rather living with their partner, and they say, are we, are we allowed to join? Are we welcome? And my response is, everybody's welcome. We love everyone, we accept everyone, we welcome everyone, unless they're a danger to others. But our love and welcome and acceptance of a person doesn't mean we necessarily affirm or endorse their lifestyle or their choices. I love and accept all kinds of people within the church and outside the church who have different ethics and beliefs to me, whose choices clash with what the Bible teaches. My role is not to judge, but rather to extend a loving welcome. We have many people here whose life choices don't match up to God's ideal. Now, the truth is, of course, there isn't a single person here whose does, including mine. We're all on a journey. Our desire to become, is to become more like Jesus in the way we think and behave. So, does our unconditional welcome mean we don't have standards? That, as a church, we're kind of liberal and woolly and really anything goes? The answer is no. We are submitted to what the Bible teaches. And there are biblical criteria, for instance, for those who are appointed to positions of leadership, which we take seriously. So there will be those whose lifestyle and choices would prevent us from making them leaders or entrusting to them positions of influence. So for instance, there might be people here who drink heavily. Are they welcome? Yes. There may be some who struggle to tell the truth. There might be people who are involved in a sexual relationship that falls outside of the confines of biblical marriage, by which I mean a marriage between a man and a woman. There may be people who have difficulty controlling their anger or who have chosen not to give financially to the work of the church. There will be all sorts of people uh, who it wouldn't be appropriate for us to entrust leadership positions to. But are they welcome? Do we accept them? Can they belong? Absolutely, yes. There have, on very rare occasions, been people who we, who we have uh, had to ask not to come for the protection of the rest. This would include some who are disruptive and try as we might, they refuse to follow guidelines which have been set for appropriate behavior. And also those who could be a danger to children or to others. But those exceptions are extremely rare. Aside of those sort of one or two in a thousand kinds of exceptions, the issue here is that you are welcome no matter who you are. The church is a place where all of us can be mended, restored, straightened out. We have a saying here, come as you are. Come as you are. That's where God starts with every one of us. He accepts us. He draws us into the closest of relationship while we were yet sinners. And this is what people are longing for, a grace-filled acceptance. Jesus says, come as you are but don't stay as you are. He loves us too much to leave us where we are in our brokenness. But the welcome is unconditional. Come as you are. For the last few months, the billboard that some of you will have seen uh, has, some of you don't even know we have a billboard. If you approach this building from the south every week, coming up Lenton Lane, you probably didn't even know it, but from the north, you'll see that. 
And for some months, that's been what we've got on there, Trent Vineyard. Welcome home. There may be some of you here for whom this issue of being accepted and welcomed is challenging. Perhaps you've been rejected in the past, perhaps by Christians or by others in society, and you long to know real acceptance. And what we would want to say to you is, welcome home. There may be some who are keenly aware that your lifestyle choices don't match up to God's will for you. Whether you have committed your life to Jesus and you realize that you've cooled off and become distant in that commitment, or perhaps you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus. And today is a great day to take a step towards him. He's not waiting for you, you know, to sort out your life before he will accept you and welcome you. The only qualification for being accepted by him is your willingness to admit you need him. Welcome home. There'll be some of you who feel drawn towards Jesus. He's the most magnetic, magnificent, awesome man, person. And you may have questions about him. It's like, I need some answers to some of these questions. I love what I'm hearing, but I need some answers. Well, if that's you, I'd encourage you to consider going along to the Alpha course that starts this Thursday. If you just go to the Connect area, they'll sort you out over there with some information. And I think probably for all of us, this is a challenging talk. Every one of us has a selfish heart that ultimately prefers to hang out with our friends and not extend ourselves. And some people, you know, are more easy to welcome than others. But I really would encourage you, if you feel the Lord challenging you, maybe to get someone to pray for you tonight and just say, God, would you give me your heart? Would you give me Jesus' attitude and heart towards those those that you want to draw towards yourself?